Oak City Move is a podcast on 88.1 WKNC, highlighting people creating positive change in the triangle and beyond. Oak City Move can be heard on air every Monday from 5 to 7 p.m. on 88.1 WKNC or online at wknc.org listen. For episodes and more information, go to our blog at blog.wknc.org or follow us on SoundCloud at WKNC881. My name's Sarah. My name's Janae. And you're listening to the Oak City Move, a weekly program here on WKNC. Today we're talking to two people from El Pueblo. So if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about what the organization is. Um, hi, uh, my name is Viviana Mateo, and I've been a part of El Pueblo for three years now. Um, I'm part of the Youth Council, which is a council filled with youth, and uh, <laughs> we kind of do our own thing when it comes to youth, and um, we believe in uh, intergenerational work, so there isn't really like a pedestal adults are put on, um, and what we do is a lot of activism um, for minority communities, um, and I'll let Will introduce himself. <laughs> Um, so yeah, my name is Will Sands. I'm the communications coordinator at El Pueblo. Um, Viviana has actually been at El Pueblo slightly longer than I have. <laughs> I'm there for two. I've been there for two and a half years. Um, but yeah, so I help um, kind of work with our community members, kind of get them trained to speak with the media, uh, learn how to do letters to the editor, and then I just kind of on a daily basis help take care of um, the social media, the website, that kind of stuff. Fantastic. And so, with El Pueblo, what is sort of the mission of the organization and some of the key things that you guys work on? Sure. Well, El Pueblo started about 25 years ago. Um, it was originally a, um, it started with a festival called La Fiesta del Pueblo in Chapel Hill. It was originally uh, kind of a gathering about 3,000 people or so who kind of wanted to have a nice um, kind of annual event that represented the Latinx culture and the, and the triangle. Um, that has since moved to downtown Raleigh on Fayetteville Street. It's uh, Last year we had almost 30,000 people, so that was pretty awesome. Or I uh, this past September, actually. Um, so that's something that we're very proud of that we do every year. Um, but then just kind of throughout the year, we do leadership programs for youth and adults. Um, it covers a couple different areas. Some of it is more to do with kind of personal wellness and health, uh, reproductive justice. And then a lot of the work that we do, um, particularly with youth, is in terms of advocacy. So kind of teaching them uh, about what issues are kind of most affecting the Latinx community at this at this time. Um, kind of becoming informed on the issues and what to do about it, how to get uh, involved in actions in your community, whether that's through a protest, uh, writing letters to your congressman, or going to the General Assembly and speaking with um, speaking with your representatives to talk about why these issues are important to you. So you had said that um, this started with the festival in Chapel Hill. Is this a local organization? Is this statewide? Yeah, it's a local organization with kind of a statewide view in terms of the issues we're trying to address. Mm-hmm. Um I remember in the 90s, it, it, we were kind of billing ourselves as a statewide group. Uh, fortunately, we don't really need to do that anymore because um, there are so many organizations now in the state, which is awesome, um, between from here to Boone and Asheville. Uh, there's a lot of uh, organizations doing great work, but we focus specifically now in Wake County. We've been in Raleigh for the past, I want to say, 15, 20 years, and um, so we'll, we'll do our training with local volunteers in Wayne County, but then we'll also do advocacy on behalf of statewide issues. So fighting bad bills or talking about things like access to in-state tuition for undocumented youth, driver's licenses, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the issues that you guys have been working on recently? Y- yeah. So, um, for, for years now, um, in-state tuition for undocumented youth has been a really important thing for us. That's something that our youth council has worked on. 
Um, I'm sure Viviana can can talk about all the all the work that they're doing, uh, both with the youth council and um, kind of a slightly larger group, Pueblo Power. Um, but things that have happened recently, of course, we've seen in the news how DACA was rescinded a couple months ago. Um, that's been a big issue, especially considering that many of our youth are beneficiaries of that program. Um, the program itself wasn't ideal. There was we still wanted to see a greater expansion of it, uh, a stronger pathway to or an easier pathway to citizenship for a lot of these youth who are um, really kind of looking at their futures and trying to figure out what's my what are my steps forward if I'm not going to have access to things like in-state tuition, driver's licenses, what have you. Oh, and um, real quick, earlier you had used the term Latinx. And for anyone listening who's not familiar with that term, could you kind of describe um, what that term means and why it's being used? Do you want to do that? <laughs> sure. Um, well, the the term Latino, that's kind of, that word is founded in the, I guess, what you'd call it, the male conjugation? The masculine, yeah. yeah, the masculine conjugation. So um, the term Lat- Latinx is meant to be all-inclusive for people, uh, no matter what they identify in terms of their gender. And this one is, I guess, like, isn't super specific to what you guys do, but this question is one I know that comes up a lot. But in your work, do you guys have, use like the language um, or like the words like Latinx and Hispanic like interchangeably, or are those two very separate words for you? Because I know, um, especially people that don't belong to either of those communities use those words very interchangeably, even though they do obviously mean different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So what have you guys' experience been with like, I guess just like different language surrounding similar cultures and that that can often get mixed up? Um, So I think it... uh differs in depending who we're talking to mm-hmm. um if they aren't really like aware of it like we'll educate them on it but some like aren't comfortable with it so like in that case uh we do use them intercha- interchangeably at least i do i say hispanic or latinx um because the hispanic does include the latinx yeah. community so it's interchangeable yeah and so correct me if i remember hispanic is somebody from a or like of a spanish spanish speaking heritage correct and then latinx is someone who like from like Latin America and like mm-hmm. countries that were historically like so, colonized like, by this by Spain? Spain is in Europe, but they would be Hispanic because they're Spanish speaking. Yes, but they're but not, they not Latinx. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, and they're like the only ones that would be quote unquote Spanish. Like you wouldn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I I watched a whole video on this yesterday, <laughs> coincidentally, and I was like, oh Perfect. yes, now I'm yeah. armed. But <laughs> um, what are some of the things? Uh, that you've noticed being on the youth council, you know, um, because I know that you talked a little bit earlier about how within the organization, there isn't really this hierarchy regarding age and things like that. So have you guys noticed like in collaborating with the outside community that there's ever been any sort of doubt regarding any of your work because of your age um, and how you've dealt with that? Um, Yeah, actually it's been, I see a big difference when I'm working in a Pueblo and being in like in that organization, like I feel as an equal, and my opinion isn't taken in any less uh, considera- consideration. But when we did uh, like community work, sometimes you can see it, and uh, when you're talking to other people, they're like, "Oh, what do you know? You're just a kid," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you do meet those people that really appreciate a youth's perspective, and that a youth is out there um, trying to change things and is actually looking further into the future instead of just living in the now. Um, but it is hard to, I guess, adjust to in a way. Um, but I think it all goes with, again, educating people because, like, not a lot of people grew up in that mindset with popular education. Um, they always had, like, a, 
authoritative figure or someone has the higher pedestal and it was even new to me when I was first introduced to it like when I was first asked like how what I thought about something I was like oh me like I have an opinion (laughs) um so it was new and it's new to people and you know people don't really like new things um some people stick to traditional ways but there's always a way to educate people yeah and I feel like I should have asked this earlier but for each of you do either of you identify um as a person as a person of Latinx culture Hispanic culture and if so, like, you know, what what aspect of that do you bring to the table um, with working with El Pueblo? Um, I, I guess I can say that I, I come from a mixed background. Um, my father's or my grandfather on that side of the family was from Ciudad Juarez. So um, while it's not my entire background, I do partially identify as being Latinx. So um, just knowing about his story and how he came to the country kind of influenced me at a young age to kind of maintain my connection to that culture and to continue the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, um, I guess kind of same for me. I, I was born in Mexico, so I definitely identify um, with that community. Um, but I also have like a mixed background, like a, my father figure. He was Palestinian, so I grew up with that like culture. Um, so it's kind of been like a like a minority community that I've always mm-hmm. like identified with. So, of course, like I would want to step up and uh, do something for them. Definitely. And then like specifically with you, Willa, because like personally for me coming from a mixed background, like in terms of culture and things like that, sometimes there's a doubt um, from either side where it's like you're not blank enough so whether it's you're, you're not Hispanic <laughs> enough or not, mm-hmm. not Latinx yeah. enough you know or not white enough you know whatever it, like have you ever found that in doing this kind of activism work you know I guess because like when you come across as someone like even for me like I come across as someone who's completely white there's kind of this and for Janae as well like there's always like kind of this like doubt like you know like you're an outsider like you're not quote unquote one of us Mm -hmm. um like have you ever faced any of that sort of uh that sort of argument and like how have you dealt with that in your work yeah well i I can definitely relate to the idea of um kind of having the the privileges of being you know white cisgender and people just kind of assuming certain things about your heritage that you might have to explain to them after the fact um but i will say that um, I've never, I've been very lucky in the sense that I've never had any kind of in- reaction from people saying like, oh, you, what do you know about our community? Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten a lot of really nice comments from people like just being appreciative of the work that Pueblo does as a whole, but just kind of, you know, my, my work with, with the youth or with our adults kind of getting them prepared to share their stories with representatives or, um, or reporters. Um, and then on the flip side, it's also, it's kind of helped me educate, um, the other side of my family who's, um kind of a working class West Virginian family who, um, you know, I love them to death, but they might not be as well versed in some areas that are very important to me. So even I, I feel like, um, you know, coming here as a young age, like I came here when I was two and the first language I learned how to speak was English. So of course in my like family that like, you know, it's very traditional. They're like, Oh, you're too American for us. I'm just like, I was born in Mexico and they're like, no, you're still too American. But then you come to Americans like, oh, you have an accent when you speak English. So it's just like, I'm not enough of either. And you feel like neglected in a way um, from both. So you're just like, where, which do I claim? Where do I belong? And then I guess like you end up realizing that you can be whatever you want and identify as what you want. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's this whole subculture almost of like kids mm-hmm. that grow up, you know, in this kind of in-between area where they're not fully submerged in one culture or Didn't the other. Did talk about that in a previous Yeah, um, there yeah. was one... Um, organization that we had coming called the field the field between and it was they they're like a social media art like prose kind of uh, organization but they focused it was mainly more on like Arab um, culture because that that one is like and also a big one in terms of 
you know, that divide between like the first gen and second generation. Mm -hmm. But definitely, I mean, I feel like you can see it across all cultures in terms of just not really knowing where you fit in 100%. Um, and is it like that for a lot of the people that are at El Pueblo, especially like the, the younger people? I, I would say something that we've really, um, really, really been kind of working on uh, for the last couple of years at El Pueblo is like Viviana mentioned is inter- intergener- intergenerational opportunities for uh, people from, you know, whatever background to work together at El Pueblo. The biggest kind of cultural divide I can see between the youth and adults is kind of their proficiency and mm-hmm. preference for Spanish or English. Mm-hmm. Um, I know if like for, for me personally um, that, you know, English is my is my preferred language in terms of speaking or just com- conversing with people. So working with the youth has always been a very easy thing for me where that hasn't necessarily been the case with adults. Um, so that's just something that has been um you know, not necessarily like a, a major challenge, but something that we really try to focus on is making sure that everyone feels comfortable and able to express themselves in uh, whatever language makes them most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, going into organizational culture a little, you talked um, some about how you try to arm people with skills like letter writing and like figuring out um, like st- like skills of agency and handing those to people of all ages. Um, in light of what's happened with DACA, have you been employing just those same strategies are you ramping up efforts are you trying new things or is it really because I feel like like DACA being rescinded is something that was like big enough news that it Mm -hmm. reached like everyone or is it really that the community is always facing new challenges and we just don't hear of them so this didn't require particularly more effort because something is always going on Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the singular uh, silver lining to this this whole situation, and I guess this is um, kind of just a microcosm for, you know, the last 10 months or so, is that uh, these issues have become, you know, they've, they've gone to the forefront in terms of the news. And we, in that area, or in that aspect, I don't really have to, to work that hard to have people reach out, to media outlets to reach out to us about trying to set up an, an interview or just asking to see if we're doing some kind of action or something. Um, but I feel like the last couple of years and the work that we've done has really been um, uh, kind of building up to this moment in terms of just seeing what has worked and just how to mm-hmm. how to properly train our youth or adults to, to share their stories. I think a little bit like adding to his answer, um, I think that there there was oh there was this problem of like immigrants and like undocumented youth before DACA and DACA wasn't really like a permanent solution. It was kind of just this temporary thing. Um, I kind of always like, Um, make analogy to like the umbrella in the rain like that's all it was um but I do think that like there are other situations happening in our community that don't get such like a big media coverage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, I think this one is like that that's been the most that I've seen and it it did take more effort and when it happened um I remember like youth council got together and we're like okay this comes first before everything because we're on like a deadline and uh, we started thinking of, like, creative ways to, like, make a statement and something that hasn't been done before. And I do think that all the training and all the um, preparation did come down to that moment. So, And, and a, a credit to the Youth Council here in terms of, um, you know, um, making decisions and then wanting to take action uh, based on, on what's going on in the news was, I guess, when DACA was uh, rescinded, this, this might have been what you were just referring to, but I think the youth council kind of came together and uh, d- staged kind of an action on like the bridge of Martin Luther King yeah. Boulevard, I want to say, uh, close to downtown. Uh, but they had made a sign that said, you know, DACA's gone, but we're not leaving, that kind of a thing. And that was definitely something that we had never done before. And it yeah. was really great to see um, to see our young adults have that initiative. Yeah, it 
was uh, it was uh, it was a banner drop and it said uh, DACA's gone but we're still here um, and we hashtag like uh, our Senator Burr and Senator Tillis to step up and do something about it um, and banner drop isn't really like hasn't isn't like at least um, in our community wasn't a big thing like uh, as a protest would be um, so people were like what are they doing like are they against it? are they for it they really didn't understand and even though we did get like you know some middle fingers from like people on the road or whatever and some beefs you know it's fine I honestly not care, like, at least for me, because I know it affected me directly. It was an empowering moment, and it was, like, emotionally intense to, like, for once, like, you were, like, looking down on them, I guess, and they they had to, like, hear you yeah. regardless. Like, they were going to look up regardless, and they saw it, and they know that it's happening, and they know that you did something about it. So I think that was really cool. Yeah. And with Doc, I mean, I feel like right around when all – the news came up about it being rescinded. There was like a huge influx of mm-hmm. people, you know, wanting to help and wanting to do things. Has that sort of died down? I mean, like just from my personal observations, I feel like it it kind of lost its hype, which is super unfortunate because, I mean, it doesn't make it any less mm-hmm. of an issue. It just seems to have like, like once the media stopped talking about mm-hmm. it as much, there was a lot less um, effort being done, you know, to to work on it mm-hmm. and on issues like that yeah i mean maybe just, less like um, social media buzz but like have yeah. you noticed in your organization like an influx of volunteers since then and what is it like was it just kind of like a big bell curve or i mean kind of steady from what i've witnessed um you know when we found out we got like a lot of calls to a pueblo um and we we're like what can we do like what is there to do mm-hmm. and you did get a lot of people like a lot of people asking like how can we help and, like, you know, I, I guess, like you said, as the hype um, died down, you saw to see, like, who was really in it for, like, because, like, ev- whether the hype dies down or not, these these kids still, like, are uncertain of their future. Like, their hype isn't doesn't die down. Their life doesn't get better. So it's a real thing. Um, so I think as time goes by and as the deadline gets closer, you really get to see who's, who's, who's really uh, what their mission really was, whether it was just to say that they were for it and they really aren't. Um, but as for our organization, I think that for a moment we did, like, uh, I think, die down. And then we were like, wait, like, we really are on deadline. Because we were trying to also focus on, like, in-state tuition and then, like, faith community IDs for, like, our community. And it was just, like, a lot going on. We are like, okay, we actually, like, need to, like, put that as a priority. So I think we were doing good with that. And um, now that the deadline's getting closer, I really feel like um, we're fired up and we have things ready. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're probably going to be seeing in, within the next few months a, a, a another strong surge of mm-hmm. um, not only media interest in, in our issue, but just general people who want to come out and mm-hmm. uh, come out to events or just volunteer, do whatever they can. Um, I, I can definitely say that between September when the the original decision to rescind DACA was made um, and then when we did the when we did protests, then obviously there was there was huge turnouts uh, from volunteers and the media alike. And then last week there was an, another similar action, and we probably got like half of what we were, um, what we would have gotten a couple months ago. So, and we, we get it; it's the natural cycle that any um, issue-based organization is going to have to deal with. Um, but I will say that we've made a lot of great connections, um, particularly with some NC State uh, mm-hmm. youth who have gotten involved. And in, we even have one on our El Pueblo board now, Aaron Sanchez. Oh yeah, I uh, know him. I yeah. worked with him at. The paper technician. He works with. Um, it's called Mi Familia, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. is the yeah. NC State organization. Yeah, they're another really cool, um, like advocacy based organization here on campus for anybody listening that wants to get involved with them. Yeah, absolutely. If I am correct. I think he's possibly involved with Sire. 
which is yeah. for immigrant rights and equality. I think he is as well. Um, but that's also a really cool club on campus for anyone who's at NC State. But so you, I guess like to give a little bit of background to those listening who might, you know, be confused, like with DACA, like I feel like people hear about DACA and the DREAM Act and things like that and just get them all kind of use them kind of interchangeably when they're not uh, yeah. really the same thing. Um, so if you guys don't mind, would you mind giving like a little bit of a rundown on like, you know, what kind of DACA is and like what really is going on? I mean, what what it means for DACA to be rescinded. And then to, um, well, I know when before we came on, we talked about one of the proposals that one of our own senators had made, um, you know, for like regarding um, like a solution to this issue. So would you guys mind speaking a little bit on your knowledge about that? Um, so, so DACA or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals is a program that the Obama uh, administration um, implemented back in 2012, I want to say. And it was it wasn't an ultimate solution. Um, it was just kind of a uh, like Viviana said, uh, you know, an umbrella in the rain. It was um, it provided some protections and the fact that its recipients could uh, they had access to driver's licenses. Um, they could you know they could work with doc- documentation in this country. Um, and that they were not a priority for deportation. Um, there was an attempt to expand that uh, about a year or two ago, but unfortunately, that was um, it came to a tie in the Supreme Court, and uh, Supreme Court, um, which basically was a loss. Uh, the the expansion did not happen. Um, but the Dream Act has been around for I want to say almost fifteen years at this point, and yeah. it's um, it's been a bipartisan uh, bill that kind of keeps getting um, presented in the legislative cycle and. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't really gone anywhere in the last couple of years, but it does provide um, a, a strong pathway to citizenship. Um, and it also is it doesn't criminalize uh, like the parents of these childhood arrivals. Um, it's uh, it's just it's kind of the solution that we've been working towards for the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Adding on to that, I guess I just want to like emphasize that the DACA, the deferred action, um, all it did was be able to like get a license and be able to work with documentation. That's all it did. And that you weren't a priority for deportation and it didn't give anything for in-state tuition. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't give a pathway to citizenship. And the thing with people that were, um, a lot of people weren't even eligible to apply for the program, but the ones that were, um, it didn't give them a pathway to citizenship. It didn't do anything. And you had to go through a rigorous application ap- application pro- process to even um, be considered for it. And you had to pay the funds for a lawyer and the application. And you have to wait like three months. And if you they see that you're okay, then they'll go and ask for your biometrics. So you give your fingerprints and you go through this long line of giving fingerprints and then having everything about you. Um, and I guess that's what I wanted to reiterate. And what he's talking about, the criminalizing of our parents or of my parents. So like we want a clean Dream Act. So we don't want like a Dream Act like, okay, you can stay, but your parents have to go mm-hmm. in a way um, because that's not how it should be. And um, that's really what we're working on now is the Clean Dream Act. Um, and Tom Tillis um, proposed the Succeed Act, which uh, would not – it's 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 uh, very sketchy, <laughs> to say the least. It's problematic. It's like, it's like okay, you get to, like, have pathway to free, uh, to citizenship, but it's like by the time I get it, I'm dead kind of thing. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, you get your freedom with, like, a little star thingy right beside it. And um, it also funds the wall, which is like, no, that should be a separate issue. You shouldn't put those two together because that's what – Already people think that those two go hand in hand. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this is about the kids. This is about the youth. It should say as this issue. It should be about humanity. And if you want to make something about the wall, then that should be something else. So that's why uh, 
we're not for the sissy or I'm not for the sea dad. It's a very sketchy, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we're pushing towards a clean dream act. Awesome. And so I guess like once people have sort of this knowledge, okay, this is the core, you know, fundamentals of what this legislation says. I, you know, support the dream act or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what are the next steps after that? Because I feel like with so many people, because it's on a federal level, they, you know, don't really know what to do about it. I mean, everybody knows like it's like you can I guess like call and and you know send letters to your representatives which are you know Tom Tillis and Richard Burr for North Carolina but um yeah because a lot of people don't know yeah. who their representatives are so yeah, yeah you'd be surprised yeah, oh, yeah but I mean other than that what can people do I guess and then I mean because I mean I feel like like on the like because it's on the federal level it's a bit further up but like is there anything you can do on the local level, like which is, I guess, something El Pueblo would be more, mm-hmm. you know, looking at in terms of helping DACA recipients in our area and things like that. Well, as as simple as it sounds, I mean, when there's an when there's an organization um, that is that's doing some kind of action in the community, uh, and they do they make a call out to their you know, Facebook followers saying, "Hey, you should come out to this thing tomorrow." Um, it's you definitely want to to do your best to be able to make it to those events and bring friends with you because the best way for uh, kind of the media to shed light on this event is when there's a great turnout for it. And then thus you have kind of that increase in notoriety. Um, and of course, uh, actually getting out and voting for, you know, mm-hmm. like every, yeah. uh, not just the presidency for midterm elections. Yeah. Nobody, um, like nobody votes local or very rarely do they vote local, yeah. which is sad. Yeah. No, that's, it's, it's awful. Uh, <laughs> that's something that we really want people to, uh, especially young people to be focusing more on. Um, but something that, you know, we've kind of taken note of at El Pueblo is the fact that, um, yes, it's been difficult to advocate for things like in-state tuition and access to driver's licenses for undocumented youth. But um, the next, I guess, the next election cycle next year, um, there's they're talking about, you know, the changing of uh, of the districts and that there's going to be a stronger likelihood that there's going to be more candidates who are in favor of things like uh, a pathway to citizenship, um, the rescinding of ICE or Immigration and Customs Enforcement in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more progressive issues uh, or candidates that are, that are more in support of these progressive issues. So um, just continuing to reach out to your your representatives, whether on a state or federal level, uh, going out to events that local groups are organizing and maybe participating in their kind of written letter campaigns or whatnot. Um, yeah, like every every action, every donation definitely counts. Also, I think just educating people like I know a lot of people weren't aware, but maybe those of you listening now that you know. Um, talk to people that aren't aware of it and maybe reach mm-hmm. out to those who are affected by it and be like, hey, like, if you ever need to talk, because it is like a mental issue too. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just something that was taken away, it also affects those lives um, mentally. So maybe just talking to those people and getting to know them. And um, I mean, you're, if you get to know them, then that means you have a story and, you know, eventually you can share that story. Um, and so, what's the best way for people like that want to? you know, volunteer or get involved with El Pueblo? Um, what's the best way for them to, to do that and get involved with that? Um, I mean, as something as simple as just messaging our Facebook page or our Twitter or visiting our website, www.elpueblo.org. Um, we are, we're always posting what, whatever events are going on. Um, not, not even necessarily those that are our own, but say if um, Farm, La- Farm Labor Organizing Committee, a.k.a. Flock, or Student Action with Farm, farm Workers, uh, whenever they're doing an action, uh, we really try our best to promote it because they have um, a lot of great people that are working for them. So 
Um, just generally speaking, if people want to visit our website and uh, or email elpueblo at elpueblo.org, um, you can get pretty, uh, you can uh, get situated and, and find what you're interested in. And uh, is there anything, I guess, that you want people to know about, you know, being, just being somebody from the Latinx or Hispanic um, community, especially during like this sort of political, quote unquote, political climate that we live in now? Um, is there anything, you know, that you would say to people, um, especially those that aren't, I guess, super convinced by the dream actors, see the importance of supporting DACA and things like that? What would you say to them? Um, so for me being a Dream Act uh, or a DACA recipient, I think my story has a lot of power. And I just want to say that um, I guess to hear a story is that I'm 18 years old. I'm a senior at Wake Early College High School. And I won't be graduating this year because of DACA being rescinded um, because I still have to pay out-of-state tuition, which is three times the amount. And my parents aren't that um, high class income or even middle class or even enough to send me to college. I would be the first generation to go. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to stay another year to earn a certificate for botany because thank God my early college uh, would pay for it. And, you know, if push comes to shove and I can't go to college, then I'll use that certificate to work until my uh, if the Dream Act doesn't pass and my DACA um, it expires in 2019. If when that ends, I'll work till then, and the money that I saved or was supposed to be saving for college, I'll be using the money to save for the new life in a country that I know nothing about. Um, it would be a foreign country then, and uh, I'm not the only one with this story. You know, it's a lot of us out there. A lot of them don't feel comfortable coming out because mm-hmm. they're so judged. Mm-hmm. But if I really think that I, I'm very open about it because you get to see how close it is to you. And um, with everybody hiding, it's like, oh, it's not affecting anybody that I know. Um, but it is, and it's close to, you know, whether people want to be open of it or not. Um, and with DACA being gone, you know, like I said, it wasn't a permanent um, solution, but it was that, I guess, security, that peace of mind that you could go to the grocery store and drive and not get pulled over and then deported. Mm-hmm. Um, and with DACA being gone, like uh, with people's, that's their, um, as their DACAs start expiring, you know, that peace of mind is gone. And um, so every time you get in a car or you see those blue lights, you, you're scared for your life because you, in that moment, your whole life can change. And it's hard as a student because it's like you feel all this pressure, you know, like, oh, I have to keep going. I want a higher education. I want to become a doctor. But then it's just like everything is telling you to, like, just stop and just, you know, keep it low key, get out of school because, you know, some um, universities are trying to do the SB 145, mm-hmm. which would mean that like they would let them know um, if like um, someone was to come like I want to know who's undocumented here and they would give them a name. So like even going to school is a risk. And um, it's really hard because it's not only close to heart, but it does affect a lot of people that I know personally. And um, I just want to put that out there that uh, that's the story of uh, undocumented youth in um, the United States. And yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, Will, is there anything that you would like to say? Uh, just backing up what Viviana said specifically with the the, the notion that um, we can't, you know, like a lot of people are trying, you know, say that, like, oh, we need to kind of go into the shadows or kind of, you know, protect our identity or anything, um, anything along those lines. But really right now, like for the, over the past year or so, the most important thing we have or the most powerful tool that we have is our stories. So I've seen... Uh, our youth members like Viviana and others go to the General Assembly, and um, when we when, when we go to some kind of uh, event there, and we have the representatives 
saying some, a bunch of things that are problematic and kind of uh, antagonistic towards the immigrant community. When we have our El Pueblo youth get up there and testify, it's just like a complete change in their attitude and the way they're speaking. And uh, it's, it seems like they're actually taking in some of the things that our youth are saying to them, even if they don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, so I think uh, this is just for anyone, um, not just our Pueblo youth, but sharing our stories is the most important thing we can do right now so that people know just how important this is for us. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. Um, and again, if people want to learn more about the organization or get involved, what's the uh, address that they can visit? They can visit www.elpueblo.org, and they can also visit our Facebook or Twitter page. Awesome. And so we're going to go to some music right now, but thank you, Scott. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys, for coming. Um, thank you very you're, much. You're listening to 88.1 WKNC.